0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Marvin's World. And today we have someone from the world of, how do you say it, Kaju. Kaju. Kai, Kaiju? Kaiju. Kaiju. Yeah. Um, Dane. Dane. And he is going to inform us on the world of Kaiju and mm. some of the misconceptions. Because I don't know about you, but Attempt. my, <laughs> I'm sure it will be because my knowledge is very limited. My knowledge on kaiju is basically Godzilla 1998 and Pacific Rim. <laughs>
1: that is, it. <laughs> that the, the is notorious, it. The notorious Roland Emmerich movie. <laughs> Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's quite a sign off. Pacific Rim, I'll give you. Pacific Rim. I, I, will, I will die on the hill that Pacific Rim is a perfect movie. Like not 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 in the sense of like The Godfather or um, Shawshank Redemption, but like it's a perfectly structured, close-ended. There's no cliffhangers. There's no sequel baiting. Every character's got backstory and motivation, and it's lovingly crafted. Yeah, I will. Pacific Rim is in my top twenty of all time, and I will die on that hill.
0: Oh, well, it's it's fun. I did a little bit little bit of research, and I read an article, and I like a lot of Kaiju fans. Don't like it because it depicts the monsters as being stupid or something. And too well, this is
1: to... this is where some of the debate about. Um... About Kaiju comes into play. Uh, the difference between like American interpretations of monsters and Japanese interpretations of monsters. I'm suddenly realizing i I'm getting straight into the deep stuff. I've completely skipped your preamble and gone straight into the meat of the discussion. Uh, you set up your pre yeah. Stop me if I start rambling because I get really excited about this stuff and I will just keep talking. So if you you want to set up your preamble, go now. Is the chance? Uh,
0: no, it was that was the preamble there.
1: <laughs> oh, excellent! We've made it. Um, yeah, I suppose um uh, well, okay. Set up the basics. Cuz like you said your knowledge of kaiju is quite basic and we're supposed we're going for an audience of people who are trying to find out uh what kaiju are exactly. Kaiju it's a Japanese word and the literal translation is strange beast and I, I think it originally comes from like a Chinese like classical poetry or something. Um popular lexicon it's used uh, as a kind of catch-all label for impossibly huge and impossibly powerful monsters usually seen in Japanese sci-fi and fantasy. So of course you've got the likes of Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, Gamera, uh, King Ghidorah, Damajin, the there's loads of them. Japan has got a huge industry um, in cinema for giant monsters, uh, as well as the superheroes that fight them, which is where Henshin, uh, things like Henshin come into play. Um, it, this, it's where the Power Rangers come from. Power Rangers, as we know them, oh. In Power Rangers, as we know, if you, you know, you know the, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers show from way back in the 90s. All the stuff with the Rangers in the costumes and the Megazords fighting giant monsters is from a Japanese TV show called Super Sentai. And that footage came over to the US and they would cut it together with American actors and kind of rebrand it as something to be presented to an American audience. But it does have its origins in Japan with Kaiju and Super Sentai uh, productions. Um, Japan's not the only place you get kaiju. Kaiju, again, this is where some of the debate about what classes as a kaiju is. They're usually from Japan, but you have a lot of other giant monsters from elsewhere. Uh, there's, in the UK, we have Gorgo, which came out in the sixties. Um, it's about like uh, a baby monster. They assume this is the big monster and they capture it. They put it on display and then mother monster shows up and destroys London, um, looking for a baby. Uh, you've got Reptilicus from Denmark, South Korea's got Yongari. Um, The USA, you've got Pacific Rim, there's also Cloverfield and the current uh, Monsterverse, the current Godzilla movies. Um, There's also one from North Korea called Gasari, who, uh, fun story behind that, uh, the director of that movie was kidnapped by Kim Jong-il and was forced to make that movie under duress and it's believed that that movie is meant to be a metaphor for the dangers of capitalism in the same way that Godzilla is like a metaphor for the dangers of nuclear weapons. It's it's sort of an interesting thing to look up if you ever, if you ever find this very strange story.
0: But I, I, I did... Well, Pacific Rim made me do a bit of research on it, and what's it called? It is based on sort of Japanese folklore.
1: Yeah. Um, Guillermo del Toro, the director, he's a big fan of uh, Japanese fantasy, and, yeah, Pacific Rim, it brings in things from from Super Sentai, from mecha anime, from things like Neon Genesis, Evangelion, from Godzilla. It, it's it's an amalgamation of lots of different Japanese fantasy elements. And it, it's, part of, it's it's lovingly crafted, which is part of the reason I love it. It is just a big love letter to Japanese high fantasy.
0: So effectively, so what I gather from Kaiju is that it is not like anime, but I mean, like, it, it's sort of like sort of effectively filmed with monsters, but in a specific kind of way.
1: Yeah, the, um, the way that uh, Japan goes about making monsters in terms of their special effects, like it's, it's sort of the most well-known people, the most, the most well-known thing people throw around about the Godzilla movies is that it's a guy in a rubber suit smashing up miniature buildings. Um, which is oversimplifying it a bit, um, but it's, uh, it's a method called tokusatsu which means special filming. And it, it began with the original Godzilla, the first Godzilla movie back in 1954, sort of pioneered these techniques of a guy in a costume, miniature sets and shot compositing to create this scale. And it's become sort of a tradition in Japan, like the United States, yeah, American blockbusters, these are very CGI reliant. You've got action scenes in Hollywood movies these days that are entirely CGI, but even today in Japan, they're making monster movies and superhero TV series still using these same techniques obviously the the techniques have been refined and the quality and the build materials have gotten better but they are still using camera tricks and physical props and it's sort of the philosophy of it is to create fantasy with reality rather than building it all after the fact in a computer they want to have it in front of camera to give it sort of give it a mass and like even though it is a guy in a costume it is more real than a cgi model if that makes sense
0: Yes, I know what you mean, because in Jurassic Park, the original ones, they used a lot of props and they made it more visual, and there is a criticism now with a lot of CGI's because it's all computer generated.
1: Yeah. It
0: loses an effect in a way. It helps a lot, but I think it, there is something lost.
1: Yeah, the original Jurassic Park, I think there's less than eight minutes of CGI in that. I can't remember, the, It's it's single digits, I can't remember the exact number, but it's a single digits worth of CGI, and the rest is puppetry and miniatures and things like that. And it's why it's part of why that movie holds up so well is how well they blend together.
0: I think, in some ways, also for an actor and actress, it's much easier to respond against something that's already there rather than having to create it on the spot.
1: Yeah, the um, the Star Wars prequels are a, a, a really bad. Um, they are really bad example of that. There's there's a lot of quite notorious uh, moments in the Star Wars prequels where something really exa- like something really. Uh, elaborate is happening, but it's all CGI. And the actors just kind of watch it, just not responding. But it's where, um, it's where things like motion capture are kind of pushing things in the right direction. Um, the recent Planet of the Apes movies um, with Andy Serkis as Caesar, they work well because they're still capturing a performance. It's a CGI character, but it's being played off a real actor's performance. So you can get realistic interactions and responses yeah. off of one another.
0: So, so to put it into Kaiju, what they're doing now, it's always, it's like Thunderbirds in the 60s of the podcast. You can always tell it's fake.
1: Yeah, you can can tell it's fake, but that's kind of not the point. Part of the, yeah, like part of the philosophy of Japan is they know it's not real, so why try to make it more realistic? Like, we all know, like, we all know the basic appearance of Godzilla. Like, I've got my, I've got the figure there for Godzilla. Um, And that's a very familiar design, but there are some of the creatures in Japanese fantasy, you would never get away within an American monster movie. There's, um, there's a character called Ultraman, who's kind of a superhero who fights giant monsters. It's, it's kind of a Power Rangers thing, although it predates Power Rangers by a number of years. And the creatures in that series, you, you'd never get away with them in an American TV series. They're so outlandish, so weird and alien looking, no American producer would sign off on it. But on, in Japan, the crazier, the better. If you can build it, it doesn't matter how realistic it looks. If you can actually build it and put it in front of camera, go for it. Hmm.
0: it oh, yeah. I mean, the just I, I, one thing I found. Is, look, doing a YouTube search, the Japanese pranks are bloody better than any others. And like <laughs> the, the, the anime thing as well is, is they, The Japanese have a certain style towards their TV, which is quite attractive. It's a,
1: yeah, it's a it's a unique. It's a very unique, high energy. It's uh, a very high energy. Um, uh, high imagination, as well. Like there's a certain, uh, certain freedom about how Japan approaches fantasy and creativity that I think uh, American productions are maybe not as willing to tread. They're not as willing to cross that line into full blown absurdity and fantasy.
0: What would you say? Um, so, what, 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 what really sort of? What about your passion towards kaiju?
1: It's it started quite early on. I was introduced to kaiju very early on uh, by my dad. Um, My dad introduced me to a lot of my sort of founding sci-fi entertainment. You know, through him, I found about things like the Matrix, uh, Back to the Future, Doctor Who, uh, Jerry Anderson stuff, so Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet, and. Uh, He taped uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon and The Terror of Mechagodzilla off of Channel 4's Creature Feature Season. And this is very dated. I I realise now I'm talking about taping things off the television. Um, And those movies, uh, they had quite a kiddie appeal. There are eras of the Godzilla movies that are quite well geared towards kids they're quite like Godzilla vs Megalon it's a very colourful energetic movie it's got heroic Godzilla fighting monsters with a colourful robot sidekick it's got a catchy theme tune and so it like it hooked me in then and then as I've matured uh, I've gotten to learn a bit more about more of the history behind kaiju and sort of where it comes from and the sort of realization that kaiju is not it's more than escapism from reality it's actually a lot of kaiju movies kind of force you to take a look at reality. A lot of them have some very severe, very real uh, social and political subtext that carries with them. And it makes them, it gives them an extra layer of understanding.
0: Oh, would you please uh, point some examples?
1: Absolutely. Okay, so uh, how much do you know about the origins of Godzilla as a character? Like where he started out?
0: I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't know no,
1: anything. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's rewind back. We're going to go back about 70-odd years. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, and forewarning for the audience, for anybody who thinks this is going to be like a lighthearted discussion about the wacky adventures of Godzilla and company, there's going to be some war crimes, there's going to be some climate crisis, there's going to be some international incidents, there's going to be some very real, very unpleasant politics involved in this. <laughs> so just forewarning for anybody who's not prepared for that.
0: Okay. I'm closing the podcast off now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can hear the comments section on fire already. So, uh, end of World War II, um, uh, 1945. America drops uh, the atomic bombs on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Flattens the cities, kills thousands of people. Uh, Immediately after the war ends, Japan comes under occupation by the uh, the American military. And during this time, America heavily censored Japanese popular media. So you weren't allowed to criticize America, you weren't allowed to disparage the things that America had done during the war, and you weren't allowed to openly discuss the bombings. They couldn't discuss the nuclear uh, bomb drops on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So for the best part of a decade, there was no discussion about what the effects of the bombs were. So it just, it just went unspoken about for years and years. Uh, throughout the late 40s, early 50s, America was testing nuclear weapons in the South Pacific, around the Marshall Islands, and particularly... One in particular is the Bikini Atoll, where uh, March 1st, 1954, this is the inciting incident, was America tested the Castle Bravo explosion, which was one of the first hydrogen bombs. And when they detonated it, it ended up being about twice as powerful as they expected. The radiation spilled out beyond the containment zone and it poisoned a Japanese fishing boat called the Lucky Dragon 5. Uh, all 23 crew on that ship suffered radiation poisoning. One of them died of it outright and, a lot of them suffered bad health effects for the rest of their lives. And it kick-started this huge international incident where Japan, who had been the victims of these atomic bombings years and years before, were still suffering the effects. And there was now this knowledge that off the coast, you know, because the ocean currents would carry the radiation past the Japanese coastline. So knowing that even after the bombings, there was still the fear that there was radiation in the ocean affecting people, killing people, poisoning people, and it sparked this huge international incident. There was like nuclear scientists getting involved from all over the world. Um, and eventually America had to pay reparations to Japan to the sum of like, uh, the, uh, I think something, the equivalent of like $20 million or something. It was a huge amount at the time. Um, we then get uh, the key players, uh, producer, the key players at Toho Studios, which is the, the Japanese film studio that ended up creating Godzilla. It was producer Tomiyuki Tanaka and director Ishiro Honda. Um, they were inspired by uh, movies like King Kong and The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And there'd been, there'd been atomic monster movies before. There were, you know, you had The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, you had Them, movies where, you know, it's the sort of classic sort of stereotypical 1950s monster. who was like, ah, oh, nuclear power, what terrors from beyond will mankind summon with this unknown power? And none of them really explored the real effects of it. And that's sort of where Godzilla came from it was this it was almost like a protest in disguise it was so this monster is awakened from the deep ocean by an atomic explosion and goes on the rampage and whereas with most American movies the monster goes on the rampage is killed and that's the end of the movie in the original Godzilla the monster goes on the rampage retreats because the military can't beat it and then following that we see the devastation we see the cities flattened we see triage centers full of burn victims and people with radiation poisoning. We see orphaned children. And it's, it's so Godzilla was made as a reflection of the real world effects of not only yeah. the atomic bombings, but the, uh, the poisonings going on in the South Pacific as well. So the original Godzilla movie, despite most people's preconceptions of Godzilla being like this cheesy, cheap and simple escapism fantasy, the original Godzilla is an incredibly dark, incredibly harrowing movie.
0: Ah, it's a bit like um, you. you think it's a very far-fetched comparison, but um, such a Baron Cohen—he, what he does, is he does a thing called Buffon, where he mm. acts like an idiot. But what he's actually doing is he's making fun of the other person, mm. rather than being the person that's deliberately making a fool of themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and it, yeah.
1: And the, the the worrying thing is there is this. I say there is this preconception. You know, people focus on it's a guy in a costume, and they sort of. Overlook a lot of the subtext that comes with it, and the nefarious part is it was kind of intentional, because when the original Godzilla was distributed to the United States, the American distributors realised that this was a criticism of America, and they didn't want. It's weird. They, the interpretations vary. It's all sort of that they didn't want the American public to feel like America had done wrong by the atomic bombings. So for the American release of the movie, they edited out a lot of the heavier um, subtext, a lot of the heavier narratives, filmed scenes with American actors sort of acting as narrators and kind of diluted the film down to the point where it was just another monster movie. And that happened a couple of times throughout the series. And it's part of why it's sort of overlooked in a lot of circles. And they just just see the effects and they go, it's just a cheap monster movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a hidden message which you don't quite get, away, which you're not aware of, in a way.
1: Yeah, well, that's the with the original edits of the first Godzilla movie, it's, it's not necessarily even subtext. It's quite overt in the comparisons with the atomic bombings. But when you watch the Americanized re-edit, it's very watered down and just sort of glossed over, yeah, this, this thing was awakened by a nuclear weapon, and that's kind of the end of it. Whereas in the original edit, you really see the effects of it.
0: Could you also give a brief summary of another cartoon or monster that does that delivers a subtle message? Uh,
1: there's a few. Well, like monsters, uh, monsters quite generally, like throughout history and culture, they always have some kind of message or meaning behind them. Um, uh, well, there's there was a recent one um, movie that came out not long ago uh, called Colossal. Uh, it's an American movie uh, with Anne Hathaway. And the, uh, the trailers kind of make it look like a sort of a wacky comedy where Anne Hathaway, uh, Anne Hathaway's character, <clears throat> all of a sudden, she appears to be controlling a giant monster in Seoul in South Korea, like this monster is mimicking her movements. And uh, on the surface, it sort of seems like a wacky comedy, but the way it's, it's a really interesting movie, I highly recommend people check it out, because it uses the monster as a framework to explore like toxic relationships and emotional abuse. It's a very different uh, message to a lot of other kaiju movies. It's really, it's, it's on Netflix. I recommend people check out Colossal. It's really interesting.
0: Colossal. Okay. And what's, um, what separates uh, kaiju from other, so it delivers a, delivers, a, delivers a message subtle, which is quite educational about what's going on in the world but yeah. how, how does it compare with what makes it stand up as opposed to perhaps anime or other things that are... Uh,
1: well, sort what, of what differentiates you from... Well, uh, the practical effects is a big thing. The fact that they are so committed to the practical effects and it's sort of... There's a few universal themes with kaiju that sort of separates them from other monsters. Um, like it's sort of debatable whether King Kong classes as a kaiju Because um, he's not quite up to the same scale what what for me what sort of defines a kaiju is One they they usually not always but they usually have some kind of message behind them whether it's war nuclear weapons climate change or some other theme. There's also the scale of them uh, most kaiju break 30 40 50 meters tall at least some of the largest reach kilometers in height And there's a a level of uh, indestructibility as well. Um, You mentioned the, uh, the 1998 Roland Emmerich Godzilla movie. A big point of contention people have with that movie is the fragility of the monster itself. You see many times in that movie the military shows up and it is actively fearful. It runs away, dives into the ocean, they hit it with missiles and it dies. No Japanese kaiju would get away with that. You, know, you can drop as many missiles and bombs on Godzilla, on Godzilla as you like, and it won't affect him. And they're often they're either hostile to humans, or my personal preference is that they're ambivalent to them. They're so huge and powerful that human interference just doesn't bother them. It's just not a factor.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it was interesting looking at the... That, the 1998 film and seeing clips of the new ones, in that, like, one of them says, Oh, we're gonna be Godzilla's pet, and then the other one treats Godzilla as the villain.
1: Yeah, well, that, that's, that's been a, um, that's, that's, it's been varied up throughout. Like, Godzilla's been around for over 60 years now. There's been a lot of different interpretations of the character. You know, early on, he was a symbol of the atomic bomb, so he was very much the villain. And gradually, that sort of changed as he met more and more dangerous creatures. Eventually he became the lesser of two evils. Turning point would have probably been, um, the movie Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, which is where, which was the first time he meets King Ghidorah, which is the three-headed space dragon that would eventually become his arch nemesis. And from that point, it would sort of become a monster of the week deal where he'd meet a more evil creature that he had to fight. And through the seventies, he was sort of more, it was more children, uh, more aimed at children. It was a lot more heroic in that sense. And they've sort of switched it back and forth throughout the movies. He's never 100% heroic. He's, all, you know, he's never against knocking over a building to get to the thing that he wants. But it has varied a lot throughout the years.
0: There is a... I did a bit of research and there is a bit of backstory of kaiju and it is based on sort of the Japanese having actual... Something to do with mon- actual monsters or myths and legends that have created.
1: There's a number of mythological creatures that have certainly influenced uh, monsters. The Japan has got its own sort of subsect of demons. Um, I think they're called yokai, and it's this whole this whole menagerie of weird creatures in their mythology. There's there. Uh, I can't remember the names of all of them. There's there's one that's like it's like a man that walks on all fours, walks backwards, and has a single eye coming out of its behind. There's, uh, there's all sorts of, very weird. there's the Oni, which are like dre. they're like nightmare creatures, they're like nightmare ogres. There's uh, Namazu, which is uh, a giant catfish, oh, pardon me, which is supposed to live underneath Japan, and it creates earthquake quakes when it wriggles. And it sort of comes, that sort of relates back to the, the idea of monsters being symbols, like throughout, like Native America has uh, the Wendigo, which is kind of, it kind of represents harsh winter survival and the greed insights it's like a cautionary tale about uh, generosity in times of hardship uh, sirens from ancient greece are like the draw of the open sea and like monsters all the way through history have had some kind of meaning but yeah like like ancient mythology in japan um, there's the Oroki, uh, which is the japanese eight-headed dragon has certainly inspired things Ghidorah himself uh, inspired by the greek hydra um, yeah, there's all sorts. Uh, I think the, speaking of the the Oni, there's a monster called Gabara uh, from the movie All Monsters Attack, who's kind of an Oni-looking figure. So yeah, they, they draw on all sorts of sources.
0: Hmm. And what's what's the most annoying question you often get when people when people find out find your passion for kaiju?
1: Um, I don't know so much as whether it's a question that people ask, but it's more sort of a knee-jerk reaction that people have, like. One way or another, if it comes up that I'm into kaiju movies, that I like Godzilla, there's this almost slightly awkward kind of condescending side-eye of like, oh, that's what you're into? Like, I had one guy, he was, um, uh, he was an art mentor, and his response was something along the lines of, oh, well, I suppose they do have a kind of corny charm about them, as if it's something that you can't enjoy unless it's on some kind of ironic mocking level. And again, it comes to that sort of that that common perception that it's just guys in costumes smashing at buildings, and that there's no substance to it.
0: Hmm. What, what um, Yeah, I've noticed like in certain, if people have a passion or a hobby that is, or they believe in something that's a bit, it's against the norm of being like hmm. a Christian or Muslim or something like that, or or I don't know, just liking football people tend to hide it because they know that majority of people will give a funny reaction towards it.
1: Yeah. I've I've seen the thing myself with um, like people I've known who follow uh, like Wiccan beliefs and pagan beliefs. Um, They don't, they they tend to sort of keep it within an insular circle of themselves because like say talking about religion, vast majority of people are Christian or Muslim or Jewish. So, and like Wiccan beliefs and these pagan beliefs are believed to be quite outdated. So they kind of keep in these little insular communities and they tend to be quite tight-knit because they are so outcast. It's the same with, um, so with music. Like you see, I've got my, got my guitars back there. I'm a, I'm a big heavy metal guy. And that's always been a sort of off-to-the-side kind of thing that, you know, oh, you're into that sort of thing. Oh, that's a bit weird and unusual. And, yeah, it's, it, every, yeah everything from religion to music to movies, yeah, it's, it's a common thing.
0: Hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things... But um, each to their own, isn't it? Each to their own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you wanna, if you wanna watch uh, Adam Sandler comedies and think they're funny, then sure, I'm, I'm not gonna judge you. That's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, what, what, what has been the most funny incident you've come across being a fan of Kaiju? You so what are the what are What's it like, what are the groups like of kaiju fans and what are some funny situations you've encountered from people that aren't fans of it once they found out and funny situation you've found within the community themselves?
1: Well, the I think it's, it's hard to find any kind of community with something as niche as kaiju, you know. Godzilla may be a household name, but it's still a foreign language sci-fi fantasy series. So it is hard to find people who are into that sort of thing. I think, I, in person, I maybe know five or six people who are into it. Um, <sighs> funny incidents within the community. Yeah, it's, it's hard because there's not been much chance, like here in the UK, it's very difficult as well because there's, the availability of kaiju movies has been a real struggle for a long, long while. Like, um, only very recently, uh, Criterion released a box set of the whole first generation of Godzilla movies. A lot of these movies have been just unavailable in the UK. You, you could not find them. You had to get them on VHS or import them or something. They just weren't available. So there isn't much, I don't know whether there's, they don't think there's much of a market for it here in the UK or like not like the marketing for it. Yeah, it's, it's there's not been much chance to build a community. It's only very recently with like social media, there was the they've, um, uh, Kaiju Con a Kaiju convention that was it was due to happen this year as a convention in Birmingham and then coronavirus stepped in and the world ended and that didn't happen uh, that would have been a nice networking opportunity to actually meet a substantial number of Kaiju fans but it's just not happened.
0: Yeah. And how many people were scheduled to attend and what was the? Was it, really? it was a few hundred
1: it was a few hundred people um, yeah to the point where they were planning on um, on upping the venue. They're looking at hopefully getting the convention started again next year and increasing the venue capacity. Uh, but yeah, like just like everything else this year, the world ended and everything was horrible.
0: Uh, <laughs> so, what's it called? Yeah, it's... is so it's it, what what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get into kaiju
1: i think you need to know what you're looking for um out of a kaiju movie because there is the pre know, con- yeah, there's so much preconceptions about what kaiju movies are and there is actually so much variety within the genre um it can sort of taint people's expectations um there's this whole preconception that kaiju movies is just this dumb escapism. And then when a movie turns out to not be that, people get annoyed by it. Like there's a movie, uh, Shin Godzilla, which is one of the most recent Godzilla movies out of Japan. That's a movie that is very heavily steeped in political commentary and uh, and things like that. And people watched it, and it got a decent bit of distribution as well. People watched it and complained, oh, there's there's way too much talking and not enough action, which is kind of missing the point of the movie. So. I think if you want to get into watching kaiju movies, you need to know what kind of movie you want to get into. If you want serious political uh, political subtext, then you've got the original Godzilla. You've got uh, Shin Godzilla. If you want uh, really high... if I'll tell you what, the, the be- one of the best examples I can give if you really want to get into kaiju movies, uh, three movies from the late 90s, the Gamera trilogy. Gamera is a monster who is completely separate uh, from Godzilla. Uh, he's a giant... He's a giant fire-breathing turtle who flies uh, with rockets in his shell by spinning like a Catherine wheel. It's, oh. it's absolutely mental, it's amazing. And <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Um, the, back in the 60s it was very cheesy, kind of aimed at kids, but in the late 90s they made a trilogy of movies which are three of the best kaiju movies ever made. They're, they're better than most of the Godzilla series. So if that's something, like if you want to get into kaiju movies, then uh, the three gamma movies, *Guardian of the Universe*, *Attack of the Legion*, and *The Revenge of Iris*, are three of the best examples of kaiju movies because they they explore. It's not just the like kaiju movies quite often follow environmental themes, but there's also uh, like emotional trauma and like survivors' guilt and all sorts of really interesting stuff explored in those movies. Uh, if you do want dumb, light-hearted, energetic uh, action movies, then *Pacific Rim* is great. Um, Godzilla Final Wars was the 50th anniversary Godzilla movie, and that's, it's an absolute madhouse of a movie. It's every action movie trope ever put into one movie. There's sword fights, there's ninjas, there's alien invasion, there's an asteroid. There's, it's, it's an absolutely mental movie. Uh, if you want weird, like surreal, creepy stuff, uh, Godzilla vs. Hedra is a, uh, it's an anti-pollution movie. But it's got very, very trippy, very strange visuals, weirdly experimental in its execution. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's loads of stuff out there, but I think you need to know what it is you want to get out of a kaiju movie. Because if you, if you want dumb action movies and you get a really hard-hitting political drama, you're not going to be into that. If you want a hard-hitting political drama and you get uh, corny, high-flying action sci-fi, you're going to be able about that. You've got to know what you're after.
0: Hmm. That sounds like the law of attraction there. What you mm. said.
1: Yeah, you just you got to know what you're looking for and know where to find it.
0: And what's an interesting thing that I want to ask is because I noticed I thought the Lion King was a very original movie and very creative, but what I found out is that it copied. Uh, was it? I don't know. Was it a Japanese cartoon or Korean cartoon? Oh,
1: Kim- Kimba the Lion King. Yes, there's a whole controversy about that. Um, yeah, a Japanese cartoon from, I think, the 70s. A lot, of the, a lot of the imagery from that cartoon is suspiciously similar to The Lion King um, and there's certain story elements that follow. So yeah, there's, there's, that, that's a whole controversy that goes back years. So what, what, what
0: other popular American or Western TV shows or programs or movies, apart from the ones you mentioned like Godzilla and The Lion King, have copied... Kaiju, um, oh, uh, in a way, sort of ripped off Kaiju ideas.
1: Oh, there's there's, there's an endless slew of them. Like you, you can argue that most monster movies post Godzilla are, are some kind of knock of Like uh, they all kind of influence one another. To be honest, you know, Gorgo and Cloverfield and and Pulgasari, they all they all owe themselves to Godzilla. Um, as far as movies uh, that are Blatant rip-offs, though. Uh, I mean, you can always look to The Asylum. The Asylum is a... Uh, there are a film studio that are notorious for making cheap knockoff movies and then releasing them at the same time as big action blockbusters. They release such classics as Atlantic Rim and Snakes on a Train, like movies that appear in a bargain bin. As far as ripping off... Uh, I don't know about so much direct ripoffs, uh, unless you do look at like monster movies from other countries and call them ripoffs. Like whether or not they've been inspired by them or they're just an attempt at direct copying. There's plenty of uh, stuff that's like referenced kaiju movies in America, usually in some kind of mocking sense. Like I get the impression a um, a lot of people in the West, their main exposure to kaiju movies has been through some kind of satire. Like the Simpsons has done Godzilla loads of times uh, Austin Powers did a Godzilla joke, Pee Wee Herman's done it. So there's a lot of gags aimed at kaiju movies. Which, um, yes, yeah, is where a lot of people have probably got their most exposure to it.
0: What, yeah, it's. it's. <clears throat> Has anything sort of happened where it's been like Nikolai Tesla, where he was a vaguely <laughs> fan, of, but he had a lot of his ideas nicked and the other person took credit for it.
1: Nothing. I'm aware of. Nothing 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 that um nothing that oh uh, nothing that severe as far as I'm aware. Um Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to look into that. that. That's an interesting question. I'm definitely going to, I'm going to have to do some reading on that, see if I can find anything about that.
0: Because that, that does interest me. And that, that's something I, yeah, that's something I, I I stumbled across him and it is is an interesting story in a way because he was quite a remarkable man, very creative and like, yeah, yeah. things, and he didn't get any credit or any success for it. He's and, become
1: kind of a mythic figure for some of the stuff that uh, he's become known for. Like there's, there's, there's the the story that uh, there's like a myth that he had a machine that could create earthquakes, and the government like burst into his house and stole it. There's so there's so many urban legends around him.
0: But yeah, everyone. But a lot of people know he. It's like with Van Gogh and him, his genius wasn't recognized, and. Like, Edison, he wasn't near as clever, but didn't he get a lot of people that were smart in different fields and he, he got them to help him achieve his dreams?
1: Yeah. Well, he worked in a patent office, didn't he? So he might have just slapped his name on stuff that other people brought in. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. That's the thing. Yeah. That's – yeah, that – because he – Yeah, I mean, you don't know what's going on. It's like with a lot of things, you don't believe what they tell you. And you've got to look into the detail on things. And people are very easy to follow what's been said already. They they choose the easier like, easier. I was like, Like, not
1: not necessarily kaiju, but kind of monsters. You're talking about, like, people not getting the credits. I know uh, H.P. Lovecraft, the author, um, he kind of died without a penny to his name. And then his creations, the whole... Uh, Lovecraft, you know, like Cthulhu and things like that, has kind of spiralled off and gone into the public domain and sort of taken on a life of its own. But he, he died, like, in his 40s in abject poverty, and he got nothing out of it.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. Him. But he was
1: also a horrible racist, so swings and roundabouts.
0: <laughs> and then Alan Turing as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, he got... um. Sidetracked because he was gay, wasn't he? It was not something people were proud of.
0: <laughs> it's, well, it's a bit... I mean... Yeah, it was a bit... <laughs> well, very brutal, isn't it?
1: <laughs> mm. Different times. But... Actually, think about it. There's, there's been a lot of... Um, there's been a lot of King Kong rip-offs, actually, now that I think about it. There's been... Like... Queen Kong and Conga, just like variations on the name just to get around the copyrights and people just make giant ape movies. There's been a few of them.
0: Mm. And one thing I find with TikTok, I like TikTok. It's the fastest growing platform out there. And it, I think it, it's it's brilliant, but it does get around the copyright laws a great deal as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a question. I know, um, I think... As like, I've never used TikTok, I haven't used it, but like, as far as I understand, like, if the material is on the website, it's fine. But then like, they've used stuff in commercials that they haven't gotten the rights to, and that's been a point of contention for a lot of people.
0: It's, yeah, it's, it's a great platform, but whew, yeah. It's, I mean, so many people are building careers off it, like Chai D'Amelio, that dancer
1: lady. I have She's no got- idea who any of these people are. Well, she's
0: incredible. She just did a dance video and then, like, she did it, just uploaded it as a bit of fun. Then, boom, started getting views. And then she's got like 84 million followers. And that's her entire job now. Oh my and God. It goes to LA. And it's, yeah, with YouTube as well. I mean, people getting money out of just doing vlogs. But TikTok's like the latest thing. And it's, and Instagram. I think TikTok, TikTok and Instagram are the fastest growing platforms and the ones that, if you
1: want yeah. to build it all, focus on. I'd say I'd, 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 I don't use TikTok. I know, I know very little about it.
0: It's a good. It's good, but it's yeah. It's I mean, you hear that stuff done with Trump, and
1: I... that was amazing when they they they, they uh, undercut his rally. That was amazing. I, I will give them that. That was impressive.
0: What what what? what?
1: A bunch of, uh, I think it was like a bunch of kids on TikTok, like reserved tickets for one of his rallies, like not paying for them, just like reserving them to make it look like his numbers were higher. And then the actual crowd showed up and it was like less than half capacity of the venue.
0: <laughs> ah, okay. So it was like a little prank that they paid a lot of money for. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Hmm. Uh, Well, I think, I mean, it's not like with Hillary Clinton where you could sort of see that the tide was turning in Trump's favour. I think in a particular instance, it does seem like Biden's going to win.
1: We'll see, we'll see.
0: I I mean, they say that Hillary Clinton, she lost the election while and Trump won, which I kind of agree with.
1: Well, Hillary Clinton... Uh, insulted all of Trump's voters, which immediately alienated any audience she was trying to gain. That was the point she lost the election.
0: I think there's a lot. There's a lot more to it, though, with with her. There's there's a lot to it. I mean, she did get more votes, but I mean, her personality, that stupid smile that she used to put on, like seeing her in the debates.
1: Electoral College is a bitch. Well,
0: yeah, it's a bit. Isn't it a bit sort of like? If more than them, you don't have to worry about the rest.
1: Yeah, anyway. some areas have got more pull.
0: I mean, that was smart. She tried to appeal to everyone, and Donald Trump was like, "Screw it! I'll just appeal to the ones that will get me in." Yeah. <clears throat> I did. I did find it. What did you make of that? image at the end of it when you saw the video of some american lady with short hair and glasses going no remind me luke skywalker
1: (laughs) Uh, i I try not to pay too too much attention to uh the ins and outs of politics because it just gets me depressed
0: it is yeah i mean it's it's all i mean if you're like john snow in a lot of things it's i mean it's good to be like that but in sort of politics you'd be screwed wouldn't you yeah Oh, does, does Game of Thrones actually pinch anything? From do you feel it? I mean, Game of Thrones pinches a lot of mythologies and theories from a lot of countries across the world. But has there been an example where you say it picks things from Kaiju or perhaps
1: not Kaiju necessarily? It's more classic mythology and Tolkien and things like that. As where a lot a lot of modern fantasy, a lot of modern fantasy takes elements from Tolkien and classic mythology, and Dungeons and Dragons things like that. Um, nothing specifically kaiju that I can think of. I, I fell out with Game of Thrones, to be honest. I I did watch it for a while and then I, I fell out with it. I just couldn't be bothered.
0: At which point did you? Were you like, screw this?
1: I think it was like I can't remember what. See, it was four, four or five. I think where like you'd spend five minutes with a character talking about something and then you'd spend five minutes with another character and it was like an hour of five-minute segments of people talking and I was like, I'm done, I can't be bothered anymore. And the whole premise of, like, anybody could die at any time, anybody could get killed, it occurred to me, well, what's the point in getting invested then? And I just lost interest. Oh, okay. But it, it's,
0: yeah, well, that's the thing with Game of so Thrones, it's a bit marmite. Like, you either mm. like it or you don't.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it for a while and then I just got bored. I'm not good with TV. I I struggle with a lot of like, like long term, like long running story television I really struggle with. So like The Walking Dead and things like that. I've watched the first episode of Walking Dead five or six times now, and I just cannot commit myself to that much story ahead of me. So I'm I'm more of a movie guy. I like a concise, self-contained two hours movie, done.
0: I like the first two or three seasons of Walking Dead, but it just... Well, I think with a lot of these things, they they just stretch it out for money, and they don't like. Yeah, it
1: it gets ratings, so it keeps getting so it keeps getting made.
0: I don't know with with the atmosphere of some of these shows, it feels like they're getting bored of it. The actors like (laughs) feel like there's no. I know it's not meant to be fun or anything like that, but you can pick something up that is not quite right.
1: Well, if it's something like The Walking Dead, which is really apocalyptic and, like, doom-laden, and you're carrying it on for years and years and years, I can see that getting really, like, oppressively bleak.
0: Yeah, I think they should stop The Walking Dead. I think they've pushed it too far.
1: Hmm. I think they need to stop the Alien movies. They're talking about doing another one now, and that's a series that needs to die. They need to leave it alone so badly.
0: Oh, and Terminator too. I think they should. Yes,
1: Alien, Terminator, and Predator all need to be put in a box.
0: Yeah, and what's his face? What about Marvel?
1: Marvel, um, uh, see, thing. I, I do like the Marvel stuff. I do like the Marvel. Stuff. I think. I I do feel like Endgame should have been it. Like I'm seeing like how soon all these other movies are about to come out. Like we just had 10 years solid of all these Marvel movies that are all interconnected and you've got to keep up with all of them to know what's going on. And I got the feeling like, okay, Avengers Endgame, That's it. That's the full stop. We can relax. We can stop. But it's like, no, no black widow. And then another Dr. Strange and this, that It's like, Oh my God, there's more. Oh man. It's like, where can you go from here?
0: Uh, yeah. I think maybe they can't, they, I think, a push, they could possibly push it to this latest phase of putting it up to with Galactus being the main villain. But if yeah, they but then, it, then if, the,
1: if that makes a billion dollars, they'll keep making more. Hmm.
0: Well, why, why, has the, why has the Justice League thing gone so badly? Because, I mean, if they started off with The Dark Knight and then it went on from there, it would have been good. But...
1: Potentially, uh, but I don't think Nolan ever intended it to be like a DC Cinematic Universe problem with the dc movies was that they rushed it like marvel marvel did iron man then they did hulk then they did Thor, then they did captain america and then they did the avengers whereas justice league they did superman batman versus superman justice league and now because they wanted to get that big team up movie in there and they, they just rushed it they wanted to cram everything in as quickly as possible to catch up with marvel
0: it's yeah it's def- it's yeah, they they've not really put enough thought to it. But I'd say no, definitely the, not. The Man of Steel wasn't too bad, but I liked um, I like Wonder Woman was well made.
1: Man of Steel horrified me, and I have not bothered oh. watching any of the others since. I've not heard anything like the people I know who've seen Justice League said it's terrible, Suicide Squad's terrible, Batman v Superman's terrible. I've I'm just not interested. I just I've got better things to do with my time. I've just got no investment in them at all.
0: Hmm. Which, which, um, which? Uh, what, what was it about Man still Steel that put you off?
1: It was the the bleakness of it. It's, it's yeah, Superman. Obviously, Superman's been around a long time, and they've done a lot of different things with him. But the popular image of Superman is not breaking someone's neck and screaming savagely while buildings collapse around him. It was so dark and like oppressively aggressive and like the kind of destruction you would expect out of a kaiju movie not with superman it was just so bleak and horrifying
0: And <laughs> um, what, what, what do you think made the um the dark knight movie so good
1: uh, it was the, the right combination of like a solid script and direction um Dark Knight Rises has its issues. It's a little little bit shaky there. Dark Knight is an excellent movie. Uh, Yeah, I think it's just the the right balance of taking the material seriously, um, solid performances and great direction. Yeah, it's, it's, Dark Knight is, yeah, it's just an overall complete package as far as a superhero movie goes. It's, I wonder, I wonder whether Infinity War is a better comic book movie like, I think as a general movie, Dark Knight is probably better, but as a representation of superheroes and comic books, I think Infinity War kind of pushes the boat a bit further. Uh, but yeah, like the, the Dark Knight, it's, it's the winning combination of like Oscar-winning actors and directors and scriptwriters.
0: I, I feel, yeah, of all the superhero movies, the Dark Knight trilogy is probably my favourite.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think Infinity War does still stand as my favorite superhero movie, purely because it is so engrossed in it. Like the fact that like my favorite scene in that movie is the battle on Titan, because you've got man in robot suit, kid with spider powers, a wizard, a couple of aliens, uh, a robot and a half, pirate, a half god space pirate fighting a Titan who can bend reality with a magic glove. And that's the most comic book thing. I could possibly imagine, and the fact that that got made into a mainstream movie is incredible to me.
0: I mean, the thing that I, that I found really good about the film was that that was such a badass scene when, like, you think they're getting beat up in Wakanda, and then what's it called? You see the hammer come in, and then Thor comes in that big line. The, there. The,
1: the 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 Bifrost, yeah, coming out of. Damn! Uh... Ah, what's the what's the axe's name? Storm, uh, Stormbreaker. That's the one. I was going yes. to Ch- say Storm Chaser. That's a, no, St- I was going to say Storm Bender. That's a Devin Townsend song.
0: <laughs> Not heard of it, but it sounds like a good
1: song. Devin Townsend is a big favourite of mine.
0: But, I mean, that's, that scene where he goes, bring me Thanos, that was brilliant.
1: Yeah, great entrance.
0: Uh, I, I did like in Endgame. I liked the mystery. It seemed like a bit more like a detective film in a way.
1: It was a heist movie it was it was an ocean's 11 it was we've got to work out we've got to work out a complicated plan to get the thing out of the other thing yeah, it was it was a heist movie more than like an action movie
0: and that, that end battle was amazing
1: oh yeah i don't know like that was a jaw drop there's not many moments where like i've felt an actual visceral physical reaction in the cinema but that that the entrance of everyone coming out of the portals that was great
0: is there anything that you would say that matches that within a kaiju movie where they've... Well, I'd
1: say most kaiju movies don't get released in cinemas in the UK. Um, only the big American-produced ones do. Um, Pacific Rim was a good, was a good fun. Uh, the big one for me recently was King of the Monsters, the most recent American Godzilla movie, which it's a flawed movie. It does have some issues uh, in its uh, subtext, But there's a moment in that movie, um, like near the end of the first act, it's the first big action scene. Uh, King Ghidorah, the three-headed space dragon, breaks out of the ice and he's ready to start attacking. And then Godzilla breaks out of the, Godzilla comes swimming in and breaks out of the ice, ready to fight him. And it's this wonderful moment where, you know, these characters that I have known for my whole life, I've loved, you know, I've known Godzilla and King Ghidorah. I knew them as guys in rubber suits in the old movies. And then I'm in the cinema, Watching Godzilla and King Ghidorah square up to each other as the classic Godzilla theme tune plays over the soundtrack, and that was a—it was a viscerally exciting. It might be the happiest I've ever been in a cinema. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, <laughs> it's well one. What's so? Okay, yeah I think we've been through a a lot, lot of the stuff that I wanted to cover, and okay. it's been it's been educational, and I think
1: a lot I look, to consider
0: yeah I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing what what sort of comments of us
1: once the video gets mm. and, and definitely uh, tell you what uh, people in the audience want a watch list for Kaiju movies a bit of variety for you. Uh, if you want to check out sort of cream of the crop of Kaiju movies. Uh, the original Godzilla from 1954, the uncut, uncensored version. Um, Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Uh, Shin Godzilla, uh, the Gamera Trilogy from the late 90s. Uh, Pacific Rim is a blast, and and then you can look at the list of all the other movies in between them and find your favourites. There's there's so there's so much good stuff in there to be found. Uh, as long as you can put your prejudices behind you, as long as you can go, okay, it's a guy in a costume, that's fine. Let's just allow the reality, let's just allow the fantasy to happen.
0: Now, and do you have anything that you'd like to plug in? in- uh, well, I've got
1: my uh, my YouTube channel. Um, I'll send you the link so you can put it in the description or response or whatever. I, uh, I make cartoons about dinosaurs. I play heavy metal and sometimes I do kaiju stuff. I'm planning on making, actually, uh, this, is, this is gonna be cursed, because whenever I say I'm making something, it ends up not happening. But uh, I'm, gonna tr- I'm gonna try and stick to this. I'm planning on doing a video ranking the Godzilla movies from worst to best. It's gonna be a long-term project because I'm gonna have to watch all of them and make notes, but that's something I've got sort of brewing in the background. Um, yeah, I've got animations about dinosaurs. I've got stuff that I've collaborated with scientists on. Um, so yeah uh, just you can just search my name on YouTube and you'll find me uh, yeah check it out if you want if not that's fine it's not. It's I, It's a very niche audience I play to okay
0: but I think with, uh, with a lot of things as well if, if you don't have your own audience or you don't decide what you are then you're not going to get anything like in YouTube yeah. to be successful you have to have a niche or you have to decide yeah. what you are.
1: yeah absolutely um,
0: and one thing I would There's one question I'd like to ask you. What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Oh, God, that's a loaded question. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, On anything in particular, just eat your vegetables. Um, (laughs) um, Oh, God. You know what? I, I... I always find that, that, that kind of scenario very loaded because if I was to change anything in, from, in, from my past, I wouldn't necessarily end it where I am now. And I don't know if I'd be better or worse. So I don't know whether I would want to change anything for my younger self or just say, just keep doing what you're doing. It'll be all right. It's fine. Just let it happen.
0: So your, your advice to younger self is to not worry,
1: go with the flow. And- yeah, don't, don't worry. I think actually, yeah, don't worry. Everything is temporary. Everything is nebulous. Don't worry about it. Just get on with it.
0: Okay, yeah. That is a big thing though, isn't it? I think most of us, especially at a younger age, one thing I find interesting about people in, uh, in their 40s or 50s, they seem, most of them seem more detached from their egos. But when you were like from 15 to 30s, we, we were, were quite attached to our egos.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think everything is temporary is a good philosophy to go by. If things are bad, they'll stop, they'll end. And if things are good, hang on to them.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Let me know what you think. And yeah, be safe and well.
1: You too. Take care, mate. See you later. Bye-bye.